What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Great to have you. Did, did none of you hear that the Niners are playing the Rams today? You still came to church? You are the faithful. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You came to church despite that. So uh, it's great to have you here this morning. My name is Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Eden Church, and we're so excited. I'm excited that we get to continue in the series that we started last week called Battle Ready, Winning the War Within. And some of you are asking the question, what war are we talking about? I got 99 problems, and myself ain't one of them. Right, I got 99 problems. There ain't no war happening within me. This is the best season of my life. Well, this is the war that we're talking about. Paul described it 2,000 years ago. It is the war that happens inside. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. Anyone can resonate with that tension, the battle that we face on a regular basis. So we've all experienced the tension of the war that happens within us. But some of you are thinking, well, why are we calling it such a serious thing? Is it really a war? Is it serious? Why don't we have to sort of frame it in that way? And it's not serious until we realize that the problems that we're having in our relationships are a result of the lost battles that are happening in our heart. It's not that serious until we realize that the destructive habits that are transforming our marriage in a negative way is a result of what's happening in our heart. It's not a serious thing until we realize that so many of the problems and the greatest issues that we're facing in our life, maybe even some of the greatest regrets that we have, are a result of what is happening inside of us. And it's at that point that we recognize that it is a war that is happening within us. It is a war that's happening within us. And I don't think that we ever gain ground until we realize that most days we're living on a battleground instead of a playground. We'll never make that much progress in our life until we realize that the world we're living in today is really a battleground. It is a fight for the condition of our heart. And so we've been in this series over the last few weeks, and the goal of this series is to help you to win the war within, to help you win the battle that is happening inside your heart. Week one, we talked about what to do when the battle chooses you, that was a conversation about overcoming temptation in our life. And a temptation is the inclination to go beyond the boundaries of God's best for your life. And one thing we learned is that the more that we say yes to the temptations, the more that we're saying yes to becoming someone we never dreamed that we would be. And so we said when we're facing a temptation, one of the best things you can do is to dismantle the lie. Because when you dismantle the lie, you are remembering the fact that every temptation overpromises and underdelivers. And so today's message, like Tommy said, is called Scared But Prepared. Scared But Prepared. When's the last time you've been scared? Anyone been scared recently that you remember? I'm, I'm mildly a hypochondriac, and so uh, if I feel like a bump on my skin, I think I have cancer. If I feel like a lump in my head, I, if I had a headache or something, I'm like, Baby, I think I have brain cancer. So uh, I've been to the emergency room a lot. I'm not talking about being scared that way. But I'm talking about have you ever been really scared? I remember the last time or one of the last times I had a normal fear that other people have as well. And that was the time shortly after our, our first son was born. His name is Cohen. He's five years old. And he was born in Bakersfield, California. And we had the blessing of having a C-section. 
And you might be wondering, well, why is that a blessing? It's a blessing because you get to stay in the hospital a few extra days if you have a C-section. And for me, that was great because the first few days of the birth of our child, I was feeling like a completely prepared father. I'm like, man, parenting isn't even that hard uh, when you have the nurses and the doctors waiting on you hand and foot 24 hours a day. It was amazing. And then there came this fateful moment after we had our child. They told us we had to go home. I thought, okay, well, you know, I didn't prefer, I wouldn't choose for it to happen this way, but if it is going to happen, it makes sense. And so we start preparing to go home, and, and then we came to the realization that there wasn't going to be a nurse or a doctor to check on the life of our child once we got home. And I thought that was a really irresponsible thing of the hospital to do, to send this child, to entrust this child's life to two people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing when it comes to raising a child. But I was really scared, and I really thought some of those thoughts. I was like, is there not going to be anyone that comes and checks to make sure the baby's still alive in a few days? And I think that what I was afraid of was that the circumstances seemed bigger than my capacity. Have you ever been in a moment like that in your life where the circumstances of your life seem to be bigger than the capacity that you've ever dealt with before? Or maybe it's a problem that seems bigger than you've ever dealt with before or a conflict that's been bigger than you've dealt with before. Sometimes when we're in that moment, we feel overwhelmed because the trial seems too big. We're scared. We're overwhelmed. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about how to overcome the obstacles in your life, how to get through the trials that you're facing in this season of life. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what giants you've walked into this room with, what burdens, what obstacles that you're facing right now. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's your career path. Maybe you have walked into this place struggling to understand what your purpose is for this life. And so we're going to talk about how to overcome some of these these trials. And we're going to do that by looking at the true story of a guy named David. A guy named David. He lived about 3,000 years ago in the nation of Israel in the city of Bethlehem. And David was the youngest of eight brothers. And he was alive during a really unique political climate. Outwardly, the country of Israel was thriving under their first king, whose name was Saul. And he was the type of king that you would imagine like would be a king. He was born to be a king. He was tall. He was handsome. He had like this strong record of military development, and so like he was, in a sense, the people's king. But on the back end, he was also someone who lacked a lot of integrity. He lacked a lot of wisdom. He lied. He couldn't admit when he was wrong. He probably spent a little bit too much time on Twitter. And there was this one moment where Saul made the decision to directly reject Guidance from God. And when that happened, God pulled his favor away from Saul, and he began looking for a new king. And so he sent this guy named Samuel, who was a priest, to look for a new king. And he sent him to a man named Jesse's house who had eight brothers. And so he went to his house, and he began to examine each of these brothers. And in the words of Ariana Grande, he said, thank you, next. (laughs) Right? He did that seven times, seven times until there was no one left. And that brings us to where we're at this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11 and 12. It says, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. 
But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David, in comparison to Saul, didn't even have a seat at the table. When, Jesse, when Samuel came to Jesse, he said, hey, you know, uh, I, I think that God has anointed one of your sons. Grab, grab the ones who you think it might be and uh, bring them to the house. And he didn't even think to invite David into this moment. And so the problem was is that not just nobody respected David, his own family didn't even respect him. He was the youngest of eight sons. He was the shepherd boy. And this was like one of the most lowliest types of position in this entire Israeli uh, economy during this time because he spent time with sheep. He smelt like sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, sheep are dumb. Okay, he was alone, he was isolated from everyone else, and they didn't even consider that he would be the one that God would choose. But this is what we learn. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And so there was something about David's heart that separated him from everyone else. There was something about his life that was unique. And it's going to be in the context of a battle that we see David exposing to the world what God saw in his heart in that moment. Israel had just come into conflict with the Philistines. This was a neighboring country. They had a history of conflict. And this was like one of the most epic battle scenes in all of Scripture. You have the Philistines on one hill across the Eli Valley, and then you have the Israelites on the other hill. And the way that like this conflict really developed was because you had this guy named Goliath who was, as the word suggests, a Goliath of a man. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. He was the Andre the Giant, the Shaquille O'Eal. Shaquille O'Neal? That was Shaquille O'Eal. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal of a previous generation. And, uh, and what he was doing every morning for 40 days is he would have to stand right at the edge of the hill and he would start trash talking to all the Israeli army. And he would talk about their mamas and he would talk about their God. He would talk about their culture. And every morning and every evening for 40 days, he would just put these people down. And, and if you grew up on the streets like I did of Sunnyvale, okay, you don't talk, you don't talk about people's mamas. Right? When you, want, you can say whatever you want, but once you start talking about people's mamas, that's when you cross the line. That's when it's time to throw down. But that's what Goliath was doing. He was disrespecting them. He was taunting them. He was, he was attacking their God. And, and, and for 40 days, not one person from the trained Israeli army had enough courage to stand up against Goliath, this Philistine. And it's interesting because even David's seven older brothers were part of the army that was just allowing for Goliath to criticize and to devalue all that God had done in this people. And this is when we see the condition of David's heart exposed. And this is where we begin to learn how to overcome some of those circumstances in our life that seemed a little bit beyond our capacity. And the first point is that it's not a mistake. If this morning you came in because you're in the middle of a trial that you had nothing to do with, it's not a mistake. Look at what it says in verse 17. It says, One day 
Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are doing or getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. And David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And so David left the sheep with another shepherd, set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood face to face, facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brother. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. David was minding his own business. He was a shepherd boy. He was doing what his dad told him to do. He was serving the sheep. He was serving the soldiers. He was being faithful to the task that was in front of him. And all of a sudden, his dad asked him to do him a favor and to send some gifts to the army that was in the middle of a fight. And what's interesting is that God led David right into into the middle of this battle. And you might be wondering, why would he do that? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think we get confused sometimes, right? When we are experiencing difficult circumstances, when we're facing challenges that seem a little bit above our pay grade, we might be inclined to ask God the question, why? But look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. If this morning you find yourself in the middle of a trial, you've got to know that that is not a sign that God has abandoned you. That is not a sign that God is upset at you. That is not a sign that you are in opposition with God. It may be a sign that God is bringing you into a context so that you can grow, that you can deepen your faith, so that you can grow in your character. Because the purpose of you, there is a purpose to your pain. You didn't end up in this trial as a mistake. And I know that there are some of you in the middle of the biggest trial of your life, and you have to ask, God, what are you doing? What are you showing me? Sometimes we get on the back of a trial, and we look back, and we think, well, maybe we really haven't learned anything as a result of that process. And I think part of the reason why is because maybe we're asking the wrong question. When we're in the middle of a trial, the first question that we want to ask God is why, right? Why would you do this? Why would you allow for this to happen? Why would you let this happen to me and you didn't let them happen? We're trying to understand the motivation. But we never answer the question why until we get the question answered what? What, God? What are you trying to show me in this moment? What are you trying to expose about my heart that outside of going through this experience I could never learn? What are you trying to show me, God? What do you want me to know? And maybe most importantly, who do you want me to become on the back end of this trial? God had a plan for David that led him right in the middle of the battlefield. And that may be where you're at today. That God may have led you into a very difficult circumstance, not because he wants to hurt you, but because he wants to help you. 
He believes that there is more in your life that can be pulled out if you could be refined through this process. But one thing you should also know is that if God has led you into a battle, he's prepared you for the battle. If God has led you into the battle, he's prepared you for the battle. First Samuel 17, 32 and 34, it says, don't, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this Philistine too, for he has defined the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David knew that he was prepared. He had never faced a giant to the level of Goliath's sort of magnitude, but he had done things beyond his capacity before, and he has watched God show up time after time after time. He knew that if God did it for him in the past, he would do it for him again. And maybe that's something you need to hear this morning. That like you're walking to the edge of an unknown season in your life. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what you're going to live. You don't know what kind of job you're going to have. You don't know what this next season of life is going to look like. All you know is how faithful God has been to you in the past. And what David is saying is that that is enough for him to take another step of faith. To bank on the fact that God has been so good to him in the past, I can't imagine God not being good to me in the future. And I love it. Because David was developing this motion for faith, this competency, this taste, this hunger for faith. I remember when Kayla and I were praying about coming to the Bay Area to start the church, there were a lot of questions. And honestly, there were a lot of roadblocks. There were a lot of challenges that were really, really obvious to us. One, the same year that we decided to plant the church, there was an article that came out that said, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area was the least churched area in the entire United States. Have you ever thought about like going and starting a business in a market where people don't want to buy your product? That's not a smart thing to do. That's not a smart thing to do. The other article that we read that came, came out was from an organization called the North American Mission Board, and they had ranked the hardest cities, the hardest regions to start a church in, and did you know what the number one region was in the entire United States? It was the Silicon Valley. Uh, and so there were all these obstacles that we were realizing, like, at the same time that God was leading us to do this, we felt like there was a lot of pushback. And in my mind, we started thinking, like, why would we be the ones to come into an area like this to begin a church and a movement in a city? You know, we didn't feel prepared. And then we started praying and we started thinking about it. And it was pretty crazy to start thinking like, man, actually, God, you may have been preparing us all along. I was in seminary, and I was supposed to graduate a semester, uh, three years in seminary. That's how we do it. So that wasn't an extra year or anything. But uh, we're, I was in my last year of seminary, and then I got a call from a church that wanted to hire me as their college pastor. And, um, and I thought, man, this would be an amazing opportunity, but I wanted to finish my degree because... I, uh, I had, like, signed up to become a historical theology uh, uh, major, 
in seminary, and I needed like these last few classes to take, but if I had accepted this position, I wouldn't be able to finish that thing that I'd been working on for two and a half years. And so I asked the church, can we push it back a semester? They said, no, we need you now. And so we felt like it was such a great opportunity that we decided to take it. And so I had to reschedule all my classes for that last semester of school. And the only two classes that I could take, and I remember like looking at the catalog and thinking, God, this is basically a waste of my last semester in seminary when I should be like living it up to the fullest. And the first class was funding your own ministry, which if you don't know anything about church planting, you have to do a lot of funding. And I thought, this is lame. I'm always going to work for a church. I'm never going to need to worry about raising support. And then the second class that I had to take was urban church planting. And both of these times, I thought, what a waste. God, I don't know why this happened the way it did. But in retrospect, God was preparing us for this all along. When we moved to seminary, we knew one couple. We knew one couple. And Kayla had the great idea, why don't I start a business? And uh, knowing absolutely no one in this city, But by God's grace, God allowed for us to make the right connections at the right time with the right people, going to the right shops, passing out the jankiest little business cards you've ever seen that we printed out at Print Papa. And what we didn't realize, though, is that there were the the same habits and the same skills that we learned when we were starting that business was going to be the same skills that we needed to implement when we were starting this church. And it's crazy to think how sometimes you step out in faith to this challenge that seems so much bigger than what you've ever done before, but God will prepare you in the process. And so David was describing that. Like David had this great faith. He said, yeah, I've never fought a giant that big, but I have fought a lion and I have fought a bear. And when I thought I couldn't win then, God showed up and he helped me prevail. And I'm assuming that if God's leading me to step into faith this way, I can fight that giant and I can defeat him. And you know what the crazy part is? Is that sometimes you're going to have a vision for your life that no one else can see and that other people will not believe in. And because they can't do it, because they've never had the faith, because they've never taken on challenges bigger than their own capacity, they're going to tell you that you can't do it either. They're going to speak negative truth into your life because they are afraid and they can't understand what the vision that is bubbling up inside of you. And that's exactly what Saul tried to do with David. But with David, that vision was so strong. He didn't care what anyone else said. He said, I know I can defeat this person. And maybe that's us this morning. Like maybe there are these things that God is like placing right in front of you. And he's giving you this opportunity. But where is your faith? Where is your vision? Maybe for some of us, that's beginning to trust God with our finances. Maybe for some of us, that's beginning to trust God with our relationships. For some of us, that's trusting God with our kids' education. Trusting God with our children is different for all of us. But you've been prepared. Whatever you're stepping into in this season, you've been prepared. Number three, what it takes to overcome trials is to know that it takes faith. It takes faith. 1 Samuel chapter 17, 48 and 50 It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. David showed up to a knife fight with a fork. 
All right? He showed up to a sword fight with a rock. And I love the picture that it paints because before this scene, what happened is we saw that as soon as Goliath started taunting the army of Israel, what happened? There was a flood of soldiers that were running away from him. But in the midst of that, David kept going forward. And then when he got a little bit closer to Goliath, Goliath came to attack him and David didn't take a step back. He ran in to the conflict. He ran in to the challenge. He moved toward the obstacle. I love David's heart. David had the faith to take advantage of this moment of opportunity that God had placed him in. And I think that sometimes God has placed us in this challenging circumstance because it is an opportunity for growth for us. But when we get there, what happens is we start to complain, right? We start to complain, we're ready to quit. We're getting tired. We feel discouraged. But this is the very landscape that God is using to do something in your life. Sometimes God places you in a battle for a purpose. And it is going to take faith for you to maintain the vision that you had, even in the midst of a challenging circumstance. It is going to take faith for you to continue to believe even when the money is not coming in. It is going to take faith for you to believe that God could change your spouse's heart even when everything they do, every part of their behavior seems to suggest different than what you see as possible. It takes faith to take action in adversity. It takes faith to, to take that step that will make the giant fall when nobody else sees what's going to happen. It's crazy how sometimes God will orchestrate your life to bring you to this point of decision and for us to allow for fear to not take advantage of what God is calling us to step into. I think about when my boys and I, we had a really, really fun summer. This was the best summer of my life. Uh, I got to spend so much time with my family. It was such, such a gift. And, uh, and we did a lot of swimming in the swimming pool in the evenings. It was hot. We have a pool at our complex. And so the boys are at this age where they're learning to swim. And they're also in this season where, like, I'm having to convince them that, they, that if they jump off the edge of the pool, I will catch them, right? And, uh, and sometimes it gets pretty intense, you know. Sometimes I raise my voice, right, and I say, just trust me. But, and, and it's so crazy, though, how, like, from their perspective, that jump seems so big, right? It seems so dangerous. It seems so scary. It seems like if they jump, they're going to get hurt. But from my perspective, I'm thinking this is so simple. Like I can carry you with one arm and I'm putting out two hands. We are literally an inch away from the edge of the pool. There's not, there's not, there's not a jump involved in this. You just need to step into my hands. But sometimes that is a picture of our faith and our relationship with God. God is saying, just take that step. I know it's scary. I know you're nervous. I know you can't see how it's going to work out. But I'm telling you that I have caught you every single time before, and I promise you, as big as you think this is, I'll catch you now. That is the faith journey. That is what all of us experience from the very beginning of our journey until the end. God is going to constantly ask you to level up by taking a step of faith. 
And oftentimes we know when God is speaking to us more than we think we do. It's that small little nudge where God is telling us to go talk to that person. It's that small little prompting in our heart where he's saying today is the day for you to, make, get, to get right. It's today is the day for you to have that courage. When I was in college, I wrestled for five years, and, uh, and I, I, I've shared with you before, my coach in college was a really controversial individual. Uh, he cussed at us a lot. A lot of people didn't like him. Christians actually sued him for hazing, and so uh, pretty, pretty serious deal. But uh, my last few years of college, there was a, a, a group of followers of Jesus on that team that had a really positive inf- impact on his life. And so where he had a distaste for Christianity, he began to start coming around. In fact, he started, like, listening to Christian radio, which, like, was huge for him. He actually started reading the Bible, and we even saw him at church a few times. I graduated from the team, and uh, this was right around the Great Recession that happened. I graduated in 08, and then I came back a few years later, and he had retired because the program had basically lost all of its funding, and, uh, and, and he had lost a lot of money in his, own, in his own situation. And so I remember I showed up to one of the early morning practices just to reconnect with some of the guys on the team and a few of the coaches that I knew, uh, and just to be a part of it when I was home for Christmas. And I remember one of the coaches who was on the team with me, he said, hey, man, Coach Kerr is not doing good. He's like, you should go see him. Steve is going to head over to his house after practice. Would you take some time to go and, and just chat with Coach Kerr because he's doing really bad? And I was super pressed for time. And, uh, and I just remember being a little bit flustered. And so I said, yeah, I'll go. But I didn't really want to go because I had some commitments that I was going to run late to. And I remember going there, and I could already smell. It was about 9.30 in the morning. I could smell alcohol in his breath. He had been struggling. He essentially was an alcoholic after he had retired from the team and essentially been forced to retire. He had lost most of his money, and he was living alone. He had divorced the person that he was with, and he was probably in the darkest season of his life. And I remember having that little urge to, like, ask Coach how he's doing with God, to have, like, a spiritual conversation. But at the same time, I knew that, like, I had other things that I was trying to do, and so I kind of stifled that prompting to talk to my coach in that moment. And so I left that day thinking nothing of it, no big deal, and then a few months later, we found out that he died. I never saw him again. I never had a chance to have the conversation that God had orchestrated all these little things to put me into his house at the darkest moment. He had given me a truth that could have given him hope, and I passed it by. And sometimes that's what we live with, right? These opportunities that God brings right to the forefront of our lives, not because he wants to break us down, but because he knows there is so much more for us. And not only for us, but for the people in our lives who are affected by our decisions. And I love that David leaned into that moment. He was scared, but he was prepared. And every time that God brings you in the middle of a trial, you don't have to ask, why God? But you can ask, what God? How are you trying to grow me? What are you trying to show me? Who who are you helping me to become in this process? And then to have the faith to believe 
that even though there's nothing about the circumstance that would suggest your vision is coming to fruition through this trial, you continue to believe. You have the faith to believe and to trust God. It's going to take faith. And there are some of you here this morning that have come walking through a trial. You have come to this place and you are not here by accident. Just so you know, no one ever ends up here on accident. It is because for some reason, there is something happening in your life and you have searched out every other means to fulfill that gaping hole that no amount of friendships, no amount of money, no amount of career success, no amount of family could ever fill and you are realizing that maybe it is God that needs to speak into that space. And maybe you're here right at the edge of faith. And I want to encourage you that this morning that if that is you, I want to help you to begin a relationship with Jesus because you never receive the benefits of faith without the risk of having faith, right? Greater, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. The greater the faith, the greater the fruit. And if you want to see God moving in your life, if you want to know what it is that draws people to this place to sacrifice the way that they do, that gives them the joy that you've seen in their lives but you don't feel in your heart, it is a result of taking that courageous step to have faith, to trust that there's going to be a blessing on the other side. And so if that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. I'm going to ask for everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And when we start praying, the band's going to come up. And this is for anyone who has never made that decision to begin following Jesus, to trust Jesus with their life, to step into faith for that first time. I want you to pray this prayer after me in your heart and to see what God does with it. So go ahead and close your eyes. Bow your heads. We're going to pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much. And let me just say that if, if that is where you're at this morning, ready to take that step of faith, you can repeat this prayer in your heart after me. God, today, I'm not where I want to be, and I don't know how to get where I'm trying to go. I need your help to find my purpose. I need you to help me let go of the things in my life that are destroying me. I want to turn from my sin, and I want to follow you. Today, I surrender my life to you. I invite you into this heart that needs healing. And I want to trust you with my life to transform it into something new. God, would you help me to follow you from this point forward? In Jesus' name, I believe. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If this morning, I want to encourage you that if you took that bold step to pray that powerful prayer in your heart, would you quickly raise your hand so that we can know, God bless you, 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 how God is working in this room this morning. If you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand and let us know, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. 
Father, we thank you for this morning and for the life transformation that is taking place here in this room. God, what we have learned in this community is that you honor faith. You honor courage to step outside of our comfort zone, to step out of the things that keep us feeling safe, and to trust that the safest place to be is right in the middle of your will. And God, I pray that you would continue to help us to grow in the comfort level of being in between the prayer and the promise, living in the middle of faith. Because God, that is what you use to help us overcome the trials that we face every day. You use our little tiny faith and you turn it into something magnificent. You change our hearts. You change the way that we see adversity. You change the bitterness. You give us the grace to forgive others and to move on with life. God, that little bit of faith, Lord, I know is brewing in the hearts of our people this morning. And I pray that, God, you would turn our little faith into something that could transform this world, to transform this community, to transform the lives that we come into contact with. God, I know there are some this morning that have walked in with a heavy load, burdened and broken and tired and overwhelmed, stressed, confused. Would you give them faith? Faith to trust you with their promises. Faith to trust that, God, everything you said would happen would come. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this community. And we pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.